So when we talk about great Jewish leaders, like what's the first name that pops into your Moses. head? Moses. 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 Anyone say anything else? No one's going to say Herzl? Abraham? <laughs> okay, Moses, Abraham. Who else? David. King David, King okay. David. King David. And King Solomon also. King Solomon. A lot of great leaders that we have uh, in Jewish history. But I think everyone would agree that probably the most important, the paramount Jewish leader is going to be Moses. Correct? Yes. Now, I want to analyze a little bit about what the Torah tells us about Moses and what were his special qualities that made him this great transcendent and almost immortal leader that we look back today, 3,300 years later, and he's the guy that a bunch of young Jews today decide is a great Jewish leader. What was so special about Moses or Moshe that made us all here agree that he's the paramount Jewish leader? So the Torah actually interestingly gives a eulogy of Moses. We have... A, a, the, the Torah itself declares some sentences about who Moses was and how special he was, and it gives us a list of his accomplishments. Now, what would you imagine if you were writing, if you were writing like the tombstone, the epithet of Moses? What would you put in it? You know, how would you, you know, consolidate his accomplishments to a few lines? What would you say about it? Moses gave us the Ten Commandments. Well, not really. It's kind of the the men that laid the people out of slavery into freedom and carried them all the way to the Promised Land. Okay, so we're talking about the, the, he's the great leader. He took us out of Egypt. He was the one who spearheaded the Ten Plagues. Huh? He was the one who split the sea for us. He was the one who gave us the Torah. Yeah. And indeed, it's a, it mentions something like that. So let, let me read it. This is the last three verses in the Torah. If you go all the way to the end of the Torah... Last book is Deuteronomy Tvarim, and the last parsha is Vezot Abracha, and the very last three verses read as follows. I'll read it in English. Never again has arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, who Hashem had, has known, had known face to face, as evidenced by all the signs and wonders that Hashem sent him to perform in the land of Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his servants, and all his land, and by all the strong hand and awesome power that Moses performed before the eyes of Israel. This is, the last word in the Torah is Yisrael, Israel. Le'enei kol Yisrael, to the eyes and the eyes of all of Israel. Moses performed fantastic things in front of everyone. What is this thing, this thing that Moses performed to the eyes of all of Israel in front of everyone? So Rashi says, before the eyes of Israel... That Moses, when he came down from the heaven, from the heavens, he broke the tablets. Who shavarat He took the luchot, the stone tablets, and he broke them, as the verse says. And I broke them before their eyes. Right? Vashabrem lenehem. Right. So when it says Israel in front of the eyes of all of Israel, the Moshe did something in front of the eyes of everyone. What's in the Moshe did in front of the eyes of everyone? He broke the tablets in front of the eyes of all of Israel. And the Almighty agreed to his decision, as it said, that you broke, Ashrecha Yasher Kochacha Thank you for breaking them. Wow. If we were to make a top ten list of Moshe's greatest accomplishments, forget about that. If we made a top hundred list of Moshe's greatest accomplishments, would any one of our lists include breaking the tablets? This is Moses. Is the last thing we're going to tell you in the Torah. The last, most important thing that you need to know about Moses. His greatest accomplishment, the, the, you know, the peak of his leadership, the peak of his life, the greatest you know, crowning achievement of Moses' life, he broke the tablets. Why, pray tell, would the Torah tell us that this is, this is the highlight, this is the peak, this is apex of Moses' leadership? I would say he gave us the Torah, he split the sea, uh, he, he said that, that, that all the firstborn are going to die. You know, he went up to the mountain, he survived four days without eating and drinking, he talked to God face to face, but that does mention, why is breaking the tablets so central, so pivotal, so uh, crucial to Moshe's life and to Moshe's uh, uh, legacy that this is the thing that we say he did in front of the eyes of all of Israel? What could the Torah possibly be teaching us, informing us by highlighting this aspect? And you know what? I'm going to ask you a question. We know. 
Moses comes down from the heaven. He sees the people engaging in the golden calf. He says, what's going on here? He takes the stone tablets, smashes the tablets. He takes the golden calf. He grinds it up. He puts it in the water. He makes everyone drink from the water. 3,000 people die. God says, I want to destroy the Jewish people. Moses says, no. Moses prays for the people. Finally, God agrees to spare the people. What's the big deal that he broke the tablets? What's the big deal? Why is this so central? So I want to just uh, hold off on the question. Anyone has any ideas you want to share? I have a, what, I have were a the tablets written with yeah, God's finger, right? <laughs> <laughs> True. So, the, 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 so what? But well, he broke it. He didn't write them. He broke them. And Moshe broke them. That seemed like it'd be a bad thing, no? Imagine if God gives you a tablet. Even this kind of tablet, right? Here, you know? And you take it and you smash it. Whoa, you know, Moshe's got an anger problem, right? He's breaking <laughs> Apple Care. <laughs> He's breaking stuff. Like, what's, what's, first of all, why did he even do it? You know, what's the whole idea? Why did he even do it? But why is this the peak of Moshe's life? People weren't worthy of the tablet, right? Okay, people were worthy of tablets, but why is that so central to Moshe's persona? He did something that could be it was so horrible, but he knew it was right thing to do. Okay, maybe. I like, I like where you're heading there. Also, it's the people in his life. Why? They want to know what Josh asked. Oh, uh, Josh, Josh, say, say, speak louder. I said he did something that would seem unpopular, but he knew it was the right thing to do, but that was what had to be done, even yes. though it was beautiful. Maybe great leaders. Man. Great leaders things do that things are that are not popular, popular, but that are correct. I like where you're going. We'll, we'll, he didn't have... Tagid is a bevrit. He wasn't he, compromised. He, he wouldn't compromise on the people following a strict protocol. And once he, he saw that they're de- deviating, he, he was willing to sacrifice everything. I mean, it was as much of the people's legacy than he, it was his own legacy. He went up to, to the mountain and got it, you know, and he brought those tablets and the fact that he was willing to break it was basically throwing away all of these accomplishments I like in order going to there. get the people to we're, we're getting We're getting there. Moses was able to repudiate and reject what would have been rejected. To reject something that would have been an eternal legacy for Moshe. Remember, the first like tablet... Like the Iranian deal, for instance. Like the... the <laughs> like Obama Obamacare. Exactly. It would be like Obama playing Obamacare. It's, it's exa- <laughs> you know what? That's an example. It's a great... It's a great... Madashva um, comparison that uh, one leader was willing to throw away everything in order to Save not to compromise people. and make a point, and the other one would go and make any compromise just to save the deal, to say, hey, I got something. Well, okay, well, well, okay, let, let's, let's not bring it to politics. <laughs> I wanna, okay, that's the last thing we find out in the Torah and the last thing we find about Moses. Who here knows what's the very first thing we find out about Moses? The first episode, the first story the of Moses. In the, in the no, that's Moses the baby. Moses the adult. First episode. So I'll read it to you. Or no? he, exactly. I'll give you a quote. Uh, this is from Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. And it happened in those days that Moses grew up and went out to his brethren and saw their suffering and he saw an Egyptian hitting a Hebrew, one of his brothers. And if you read this verse uh, uh, critically, you'll notice that there are some words that are repeated. Brethren. Number one is brethren, and number two is the word saw. He saw, right? He went out and he saw the suffering of his brethren, and he saw an Egyptian man hitting a Hebrew of his brethren. And the Midrash asked the question, why are we saying the word twice? What did he see? What did he see? He saw and he saw. He saw multiple things. So the Midrash says as follows. Quote, question. What's, what is it meant by the words, and Moshe saw? What did he see? So it gives us two answers. He saw their suffering, and he started crying. Moshe goes out. Moshe's the prince of Egypt. And he sees his brothers, and they're suffering. They're having to schlep stones, and they're being whipped. And he starts crying, and he says, Woe unto me, if only I could die for you. And what did he do? 
uh, he used his shoulders to burden and help each person carry their brick. That's the first thing that uh, he saw. He saw their suffering. Rabbi Elazar, the son of Rabbi Yossi from the Galilee, said as follows. What did he see? Listen to this, guys. This is what Moshe saw. He saw a large load on a light person and a light load on a large person. He saw that one guy was schlepping. It was a really small, little, frail individual. And he's schlepping something very big. And then he saw someone really big schlepping, uh, uh, um, yeah, schlepping, uh, 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 carrying, <laughs> carrying something really light. Who knows? Sochev, 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 exactly. He saw, <laughs> he saw a load intended for a man on a woman. He saw a woman carrying a load for, that a man's supposed to carry, and a load intended for a woman on a man. A load intended for an elderly person on a young person, and a load intended for a young person on an, on, a, on, on an elderly person. That's what he saw. He saw everything was suboptimal. It wasn't. It wasn't optimized. A young person was doing what an old person should do. An old person was doing what a young person should do. A man was doing what a woman. A woman was doing what a man's supposed to do. A big person was doing what a little person should do, and a little person was doing what a big person should, should have done. And what did he say? Moses abandoned his stature. Moses could have said, I'm a, I'm a prince. I'm not dealing with these slaves. He abandoned his stature and went to alleviate their suffering under the guise of assisting Pharaoh. And he told Pharaoh, oh, let's make it, let's optimize it. And, he, 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 and his intention was to alleviate their suffering. But he told Pharaoh as if he's going to help Pharaoh. Well, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's more cost-effective, more productivity to do it like, like that. Okay, here's the, here's the killer line. The Almighty said, You, Moses, you set aside your dealings and went to witness the plight of Israel. You abandoned the aristocracy and you went to deal with the simple people. I, God, I'm going to abandon all the lofty matters and I'm going to talk to you. Thus, this episode, the very first episode that we're told about Moses, it tells us why was Moses chosen to be the great leader? What characteristic did Moses have that made him capable and worthy of being the leader that we all say today is the greatest Jewish leader of all time? And it gives us two reasons. We'll get to that. that, 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 that that's the culmination of both of them. The first is that Moses saw people suffering and he went to carry along with them. Now imagine you saw, imagine you saw 600,000 slaves carrying bricks. Can you imagine? You see a sea of, of, of slaves. Everyone's carrying bricks. What do you do? You go and help someone, right? And you go help another person. And you go help a third person. Are you really, are you really helping? No, not really. What are you accomplishing? The 600,000 people. You helping, you know, one, two, five, ten people. You're not making a dent. What's Moses doing? You're wasting your time. What does it mean that the, the major tells us that he went to help people? What, is that, what does it mean he went to help people? It's the symbolism of it. Okay. Indeed, so you're right. Moshe could not help people. But Moshe demonstrated a character trait that says, I want to suffer if you're suffering. I identify with you. I don't want to be the only one not suffering if everyone else is suffering. Of course, Moses knew that carrying one or two bricks or ten bricks or a hundred bricks is not going to do anything. But I want to suffer if you're suffering. I want to identify with you. Right? This is much deeper than kindness. This is Moshe saying, I am not me. I want to be alongside you. I want to feel what you're going through. I want to identify with you. If you're suffering, I want to suffer as well. This is what Melissa said. This is selflessness. If you see someone suffering, you're like, oh, thank God I'm not suffering. That's what we would say, right? It's not love. I'm sorry? It's not love. It's, well, it's, 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 it's deeper than love even. That's right. Right. That brings love, it brings kindness, it brings everything. We'll see exactly how much it brings. We'll get to love in a second because it turns out if you don't have this, you can't have love either. But this is the root characteristic. That's right. Moshe is saying, I am not Moshe. I'm different. I'm, I'm different than you. 
right? If you're suffering, I'm like you. I'm identifying with you, right? Moses, Moses diving into other people's lives. He really wants to feel what they're going through. That's the first opinion of the Midrash. And what does the Midrash say further? He saw an old person carrying what a young person should carry. And a man and a woman, and a woman and a man, and an old person, a big person. He saw details. He noticed the particular aspects of their suffering. It wasn't like, when you see someone suffering, right? Oh, this guy, he's suffering, right? You know, but you, you're reserved. You know, there's me and then there's the sufferer. Moshe's like, well, how is he suffering? What particular aspect of suffering is he undergoing? Oh, this is a man, and he's doing what a woman really is better at doing. Or this is a small person, and they're carrying something which is a little bit too big for them. And this is an old person, he's doing a little, what, what a young person should do. He noticed the details. Every person he saw, he says, what's this person? What are they going through? How exactly are they suffering? This is an example of Moshe superimposing himself into someone else's uh, little world. All too often, we live lives as if we're in a cocoon. We're by ourselves. Right? Moshe comes and says, I'm, not by my, I'm, not, I'm selfless. I don't exist. All I am is other people. All I feel is what they're feeling. Moshe says, I want to experience life from someone else's perspective. What did the Almighty tell him? And who remembers Moshe sees the burning bush? What is the first thing the Almighty tells him when he sees the burning bush? Huh? Right, Moses at the burning bush, his first experience of prophecy. I was, uh, when I was young, I was, I was listening very well. <laughs> uh, take off your shoes. Right? So the first thing God tells Moshe, the first prophecy Moshe has, take off your shoes. Can we think of something more inspiring as a first lesson of prophecy? Can it be something more important? Why take off your shoes? I think perhaps we could say what the Almighty is telling Moshe is that you should know the reason why you are a prophet, you're a leader, you're the man who's, who's most qualified to take the people out is because you took off your shoes. You're living in someone else's shoes, right? You're walking a mile in someone else's shoes. You're experiencing life from someone else's perspective. Moshe's world was not his own world and looking from the, outs, from the inside out. Moshe's world was everyone else's world. Moshe experienced life through other people's eyes. He saw what they were going through. He was selfless. Moshe himself was nothing. By the way, why is Moshe the most humble of men? How does that correlate? Because Moshe's attitude in everything in life was, I'm nothing. Because I'm, I'm someone else. What, what do I think about what, what, what that person's going through? I'm totally selfless. If you're totally selfless, you're totally humble. Thus, what the, what, what the Midrash is telling us here is that the quality of a great leader is selflessness. And the characteristic of someone who's selfless, the first thing they got to do is to start noticing other people. We can live our lives and not notice what someone else is going through. It's possible that you have a friend that is going through terrible depression and you may be their roommate and you have no idea. And how is that possible? They're suffering so bitterly and you have no idea. You is not going to point to anyone here. The only way it's possible because you live from, you live an internal life. You don't care about other people. You're selfish. If you're selfish, of course you won't notice someone else. Right? There could be someone else about, uh, you know, about to jump off the roof, God forbid. And you would have no idea because you're too involved in your own world to see anyone else. Right? Your, your world is sealed. All you see, all you encounter, all you feel, all you experience is yourself. You're not a leader. Moshe is the paramount leader because Moshe was entirely selfless. All he was, caring for the people. Right. So he had special privileges that maybe 
the slave Ron or Melissa or Josh may not have been able to or access to. Like he had the capability of straddling both worlds of being cognizant of the fact that he was a Hebrew with all this Egyptian power as well. I think that if he had just been normal Yaakov, the Israelite, it may not have been... Well, I, I, think, I think your point is, is very, it's very germane to our subject. Because Moshe had all the more reason to be selfish. He could have very well, justifiably, I'm a prince of Egypt. Why am I dealing with these clowns, these Hebrew clowns that want to eat babies? Look at all the royal families during all the, you know, every other country. They never would go and help the regular people. They would be, you know, they were like, let the common people do whatever. Let them eat cake. And they just tax them. <laughs> let them eat matzo. Let and them eat cake. He did something that is very unaccustomed to someone in his position. I mean, usually you don't see a president go down and, you know, carry something, unless it's a photo. Because I, I've heard many different people say different things that one, that Moshe knew exactly who he was, and he was an Israelite all along. But then there are other people that said that there was something inside his neshama that made him see the fact that he was one of the, the slaves. That's true, but yes. Yeah, your... so I, your question is uh, what's the cause and what's the effect? We don't know, but we know the results. We, we see the behavior, we see the attitude, we see the behavior, and that's what we see. And that's what the Torah tells us first. And by the way, someone mentioned Abraham. What do we find out about Abraham? We find a, a, a almost eerily similar verse about Abraham. Right? This is from Genesis chapter 18, verse 2. Abraham is three days after a circumcision. At the age of 99, it's probably unpleasant. I actually spoke to a convert, a friend of mine. A friend of mine is a convert. He was about 35 when he converted. And he's from South Africa. He had no circumcision. So when he converted... He got a circumcision, and he told me day three, woo, painful. Day three, day three was the worst. He said, right? And then the Torah says, by the way, that day three, someone's the weakest. So Abraham is day three. He's ninety-nine years old. Day three after his circumcision, he's sitting outside in the heat, and he's talking to God, and he sees something from the corner of his eye. And he tells God, I'm sorry, right? Gracias, not rising gracias. Pardon. He says, God, I got, don't wait, don't go anywhere. What does he see? I don't remember what he sees. He sees three pagan travelers. Ah, the travelers, and he holds them, yes. Let's read the verse. <laughs> he lifted his eyes. Abraham lifted his eyes and saw. And behold, three men were standing over him. He saw and ran towards them from the entrance of the tent and bowed to the ground. Once again, the Torah tells us about another great leader that he saw and he saw. He saw twice. And asks Rashi, what did Abraham see? Why does it say that he saw twice? Why does the Torah repeat that he saw twice? And he says like this. The first is, as it's plainly understood, he saw. The second, when Abraham saw twice, he understood. Abraham saw like we see. Abraham understood. He saw deeper. I would say identified. He identified, exactly. He saw they were congregated in one spot and understood that he didn't want to disturb him. And he preempted them and ran towards them. Abraham understood that they are a little hesitant. They don't want to bother him. Right? That's Abraham's vision. He understood what someone else is going through. Of course he saw three people, but the higher level of seeing, the vision of Abraham, is that he understood what they're going through. What's their perspective? What are they feeling? When we talk about leaders, perhaps we could say leaders are great visionaries. And that's more literal than you might expect. Leaders of the people, of the Jewish people, are people that have great vision. They see. What do they see? They see, number one, what we see. But they see, number two, they understand what everyone else is going through. Abraham sees the three men 
but then he sees them again and he understands what they're going through. Moses sees the people suffering, but he understands the details. He gets out of his own little world, he goes into someone else's world and sees what they are going through. Thus, we could say that selflessness, right, not being selfish, being able to experience the world through someone else's eyes, that is the mark of true leadership. What is the most selfless thing Moshe did in his life? Destroying the tablets. Destroying the tablets, exactly. What is the act of greatest leadership that Moshe did in his life? <coughs> taking the tablets, right, taking his legacy, and smashing into smithereens. Moshe knew that right, these tablets were given to him by God. This was written, as the Torah says, with the finger of God. Moshe brought down the heavenly Torah to the world. That what would, would have been Moshe's grandest accomplishment. His place in immortality would have been sealed and guaranteed. When Moshe got the Torah, the tablets, he had an opportunity... Well, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> he, he had an opportunity to do something that no one had ever done before. To take something that is entirely spiritual, and that's from the heavens, and bring it down to flesh and blood to humans. This was Moshe's ticket to his legacy to his Hall of Fame in the induction. What would have looked like a Moshe's Hall of Fame induction? Moshe brought heavenly tablets to mortal man. And then what happens? Moshe recognizes that these people are not worthy of it. And in fact, if I have the tablets here and the people are sinning, this will cause God to destroy the people. He takes the tablets and he says, it's either me, my selfish desires, or the nation. And what did Moshe choose? <coughs> Smash the tablets. And that's indeed the most selfless act that Moshe has ever done. And what happens afterwards? Moshe tells, uh, God tells Moshe, I want to destroy all the people and I want you to found a new people. We'll destroy all the Jewish people and you will be the forefather of the new Jewish people. And what does Moshe respond? Forgive the people and And if not, erase me from the book that you have written. The Moshe says, if, if you destroy the people, you have to erase me from the Torah. If the Jews go down, I go down with them. Indeed, we can clearly deduce from what the Torah highlights about Moshe is that the quality of leadership from the Jewish perspective, from the Torah's perspective, is someone who is dedicated to the public and cares not about themselves, is selfless, and is committed to the well-being and the flourish, flourishing of his or her constituents. Are you guys more examples? What happens? Moshe, he goes uh, to Midian and he sees girls being tormented once again. He's selfless. He suffers with them. He helps them. Another example. Moshe's about to die. Moshe's about to die. But the, the general idea. You understand, Ali Ran? Okay, so we'll talk afterwards. The Luchot, Ken. Okay, so I do a little more. 
Oh, he didn't funny. understand how Moses back then had tab- a tablet. So what happens like this? Moshe is about to die. What is everyone concerned when they're about to die? When you're on your deathbed, what do you do? You call your kids. You make a will. Where am I going to be buried? Yes. Right? What's going to be when I, uh, when I, my, my, my uh, what's, what's going to be with all my money or with all my property, with all my possessions? What happens when Moshe is about to die? Right? Moshe said to God, May Hashem, God of all living souls, appoint a man over the community. The one concern that Moshe has when he's about to die, who is going to lead the people? Will they have a leader of the people? Right? Who's going to care for them? Who's going to attend for them? Who's going to make sure that their needs are fulfilled? Right here. Right there. You ready? Volunteers tribute? Joshua. Ready, ready, ready to roll. Now, what does it mean? Why would the Torah, why, why did Moshe say God of all living souls? Rashi explains. Moshe said to God, the personality of each individual is known to God, right? Everyone's different. Everyone's different. I want you to find a leader who will be able to understand and suffer with each individual on their own personality. All Jews are different. Two Jews, three opinions. 600,000 Jews, we're talking about a million opinions. I need a man to lead the people who could suffer in, with each Jew according to their personality. What does that mean? It means Moshe recognized that his capability of leadership was that he suffered with the individual Jew. He said, oh, there's a young man suffering. There's an old man suffering. There's a man, there's a woman, there's a big guy, there's a small... Everyone's suffering on their own level. Moshe didn't see people as the forest. He saw the trees. He saw... And he says, I want a successor who does the same. I want the leader to be someone who's able to identify with each individual. And that is... uh, uh, You know, that is... Essentially, the definition of, of leadership. To be a leader as a Jew means to be selfless. It means to not be selfish, to not be anochiut, loliot enochi, exactly in Hebrew, and it's to be someone who is able to suffer and go through what other people are going through. And you'll say to me, Rabbi, wait a minute. With the exception of Josh, no one here no one is necessarily saying I'm a Jewish leader. So why is it so important to know what Moshe Rabbeinu did? Who cares what Moshe Rabbeinu did? What about us? Why is it important for us to become less selfish? Why is it important for us to become more of a Jewish leader? So I'll give you three answers. Why do we need to be great Jewish leaders? So first of all, like this. A Jew, by definition, and I'll explain what I mean. By definition, definition, Hagdara Shel Yehudi is a leader, Manhid. Why? By definition, I'll explain what I mean. The Jews are called the chosen people. What does it mean that we're chosen? Amnifchar, Lama, Manifchar Lama. Why are we chosen? We're sure we're better, we're more handsome, we're more intelligent. Among what? Other things. <laughs> <laughs> huh? No, <laughs> that's what Ron said. We have a Torah, okay. What what what's the point of the Torah? What's it going to why are we chosen for? Chosen she, she will say because she Go knows ahead, it Sarah. that she posted it. You posted it on, on a certain political issue, but say it now. Yes, yes. Don't, 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 don't want to force people to respond. The reason what we are chosen for. Okay, everyone here has heard of the idea of a chosen people, correct? Right, Matt? We've heard. Chosen for what? What are we chosen for? Chosen from? What does it mean? Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So the answer is like this. In our world, 
in the world that the Almighty give us, gave us, we have work to do. The world is not perfect. The Jewish mission, in fact, the human mission is what we call tikkun olam. Fix world. Fix the world. Litaken olam b'malchut shaddai. That's part of the Aleinu prayer. We have to teach the world about God. That is our mission. We have to teach the world about God. Abraham started... That's what it means to go by the way. That's what it means to chosen people. No, that's this may not, be news I, I, to you. I'm not really sure. Ron, this may be news. This may be news to you, but this is what it means. Because we're not. The thing is, okay, let's let's talk about it. It leads to other conversation. But Judaism doesn't try to impose or convert. That's other right. People we don't impose God. Judaism, but we try to be a or la goim, a light to the nations. Right. Like, so what the does it mean, light to the nations? So the question is, or la goim, because you have Shevam Mitzvot Noah. It is not about having them pray for the same God, but more of to be moral. Like, to be moral. To be moral. That's right. And I always thought Olaguin means more of a, how we behave as a society. That's true. If we contain our own society as a moral society and we help each other, the other people will look, oh, look at That's the right. Jews. Look how they behave and how they. That's exactly what I'm saying. Right. Okay. We're saying but the same thing necessarily means about God. Oh, well, well because... Where do we get our code of morality from? Yeah, that's implicit. This? Implicit immorality right. is... is it, it, it's, not, it's not made up. But it, you, we, it necessarily the traditions or the practices. So I, like, the question it's, is, not the Torah, that's right. it's not the Torah, that's right. It's not the Torah. The behavioral, you know, the behavioral, the moral, uh, between men and God. So where do you put but, your emphasis? But se- several, of the, of, several of the Noahide mitzvahs, of the Sheva mitzvot Benoch, are between man and God. Which ones? What? Hashem, not to curse God, not to blaspheme, oh. right? Not to do idolatry. So yes, it's not, it's not about prayer. Right. It's not about prayer, but it's a, certain, it's a certain understanding, at least, of God and certain basic morality. But we are chosen to be the moral guardians of the world. We're the ones who are going to bring morality and moral guidance to the world. The, go ahead. Oh, that's true. Because the job's almost done. That's right. You're asking a good question. You're asking a very good question. You know what the Rambam says? Let's pause for a second. So you've heard of the Rambam, right? Eliran, the Rambam, Shamatapam? Well, more than that. Uh, well, no, Rashi more like translated the Torah. Rambam is, he is the authority on Jewish philosophy. Philosophia Yudit, Ua, Ua, he's the authority. One of the authorities. He says that the reason why we have Christians... Christianity in the world is to help the Jewish people teach the world about God. And the reason we have Muslims is to help the world learn about God. There are partners, so to speak, in Tikkun Olam. So you're right. The world today... Well, you... Wow. Well, I it, think you missed a few points. <laughs> yeah, so either way, the definition of a Jew is someone who is responsible for really the whole world. We cannot say, we cannot cower in a corner and say, leadership is not for me. We are leaders by definition. I want to say more. Okay, forget about that point for a second. If you want to be a good spouse, if you want to be a good husband... If you want to be a good wife, if you want to be good parents, you have to have selflessness. If you are anochi, if you all you care is about yourself, you're not going to be able to have a happy, harmonious, and stable marriage. It's not possible. Those are opposites. By definition, marriage is giving up of yourself. It's changing who you are. It's abandoning your individual identity. It's going through what Moses taught us. It's seeing the world from someone else's perspective. 
If you don't have this leadership quality, you're not going to be a good spouse. You won't be a good husband or wife. You won't be a good parent. And you know what? The Torah tells this in us, to us in black and white. Isaac, Yitzchak Avinu, he's, he, needs a, he needs a wife. So they send Eliezer, the slave, and he goes to find a wife for, for Isaac. And he's there by the well, and he starts praying. And he prays to God and says, I want God, the, the correct girl for Isaac, I'm going to ask her for water, and she's going to say, I'll give you water, and I'll also give your camels water. I don't get it. If you want water for the camels, ask for water for the camels. Why are you asking for water for yourself, but you want her to, 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 to notice, right? You want her to notice that your camels need to drink as well. What, what Eliezer is looking for, I'm looking for a woman who has this leadership quality. You know why? Because if she doesn't notice that the camels are thirsty, she won't notice when Isaac is miserable. She won't, she lives her own world. Oh, someone says, water? Sure, here's water. But I'm still in my own world, right? If I notice what someone else needs without being told, then I have the vision of Abraham and Moses. Then I'm worthy of being a great leader, and then I'm worthy of being a great wife. And I'll give you another example. The Torah says like this. Al kein ya'azov ish et aviv et imo v'davak pi ishto v'ahiyu l'basar echad. Therefore, a man shall abandon his father and mother, he shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It says that? It says that, yes. Do Jewish mothers know about this verse? Yeah, that's, that's a great comment. Do Jewish mothers know about this? About leaving the father and the mother? And then stick it to the wife. And, uh, yeah, that's, now let me ask you a question. They reject that verse. This is the description of marriage. Why? Why do you have to leave your father and mother to be a good? Fa- you know what does it mean? It means that you have to say bye bye, mommy. I'm, I'm gone. What does that mean? So what it means is like this. It means you have to abandon the attitude, the identity of your childhood. Your father and mother is who you started off as, right? And you started off also as being enormously selfish. A child, a small child. I, thank God, have several children. Never have my children woke up to tend to me, to take care of me. It's never happened. On the other hand, the opposite has happened several times, and my wife has woken up hundreds of times to tend to, to babies. Thousands of times, probably. Oopa. Why... Do we wake up for our kids and our kids don't wake up for us? They're selfish, we're selfless. To get married, you can't be a baby, you can't be a child. You can't be selfish. You have to abandon your father and mother. You have to abandon your identity of me. This is who I am. Say goodbye to that. V'davat b'yishto, cleave to you if you're creating a new identity. You're becoming one. V'ayu Right? right now, what does it mean one? What does it mean to be basarachad? It means that if your wife is suffering, you feel it too. You're basarachad, you're one flesh. That's what it means. It means to see her pain as well. You, you don't need to, be, to say, oh, uh, I'm, I'm in pain. You would know it. Because your world has expanded. You're not in your little cocoon. You and her are one. When she suffers, you feel it. You're a leader. But if you're not a leader, if you're unwilling to say goodbye to your father and mother, you want to stay a baby, you'll have two people living separate lives. You can't have a happy, harmonious, and stable relationship like that. You can live parallel lives, but you're not really married. There's no crossover. You're not really one. This is not marriage. This is two people who are Married, filing jointly. That's what it is. Mixed to do like a counselor, uh, how do you say, uh, marriage forced counseling. Mar- marriage counseling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Really like, uh, 
You have a lot of stuff there. No, thank you. There's a famous story about a rabbi who showed up to the doctor with his wife. His name is Rabbi Levine, I believe. And he showed up to the doctor. The doctor, uh, this wife, she fell. She she fractured her foot or something. And, she, and he came to the doctor with his wife. And he said, doctor, can you help us? My wife's foot is hurting us, he said. <laughs> I found that so nice. It's a true story. But if you think about it, right? When a marriage is really one, then yeah. like Rabbi Wolby is saying, what what affects one is is immediately affecting. Continue. Okay, I want to say something else here. When we look, when we, if I were to ask you a question, what is Abraham's? What is Abraham's? most important contribution to world ideology? Monotheism. Monotheism. Correct? What is what, what the Monotheism. What, Abraham? Yeah, yes. Of course, yes of course. I didn't say monotheism in Hebrew. El Echad. El Echad. Monotheism. Right. That's what Abraham's most important contribution is. God, that's right. That's right. Now, if you open the Torah, if you open the Torah and you say, what characteristic of Abraham is highlighted the most, what would that be? Huh? Kindness. Who said kindness? Somebody said kindness. You look at the Torah, there's multiple episodes of Abraham's kindness. Now, if I were to ask you, does faith in one God and kindness have a lot to do with each other? Faith and kindness, are they similar in any way? Faith is between man and God. Kindness is between man and man. They don't seem to be related very much. Okay, so it is somewhat related. Okay, my grandfather of blessed memory... He said, he said like this. He said, in fact, like what you're saying, a little, bit, a little bit from a different angle. In fact, faith and kindness are identical. Let's look at the opposites. What happens when someone is not kind? When someone doesn't see other people? They live their life by themselves. What happens when someone doesn't have God in their life? They're by themselves. Imagine someone who lived their entire life in a sealed room. No windows, no doors. Pitch dark. Huh? And what happens? What happens? They take a chisel, right? They take a hammer, and they crack a little hole, a little window. What happens then? Then they see all the people, they see the grass, they see the trees, they see the cars, they see the, they see the sky, they see the clouds, they see the rain, they see everything. Our life, we start off, we're selfish. All we see is ourselves. All we have is ourselves. We have just me and the world. Through, hopefully, as we grow up, we break a few holes and we see other people. And what happens when we open, the, open up the door, we see other people, we see God as well. When someone is closed up and selfish, there's no room for other people in their world and there's no room for God in the world. Leadership means to break out of this sealed box. It's to open a door to the outside. It's to see other people. It's to see God. It's to see your spouses. It's to see constituents. It's to see your children. It's to see everyone and everything. If you don't have this quality of, of leadership that's exemplified most by Moses and Abraham, but demanded of us as well, you don't have faith or kindness either. You're not going to be able to, how can you relate to God when you live in your own little world? How can you pray? How can you genuinely pray to God and open up your heart to something that's not in your box? You have to break your box, snap out of your cocoon, then there's room for faith, then there's room for kindness, then you'll have a great marriage, then you'll be a great leader. You know, indeed, you talk about leadership. How, how many of us are really going to be transformative leaders that are going to change the world? Maybe some of us will. Maybe some of us more than others. True. 
But leadership, the quality of leadership that the Torah talks about, it's so basic. It's so, it's so rudimentary. It's demanded of each and every one of us. We want to have good lives. We don't want to stay the same spoiled brat that we were when we were babies. We want to develop. We want to mature. We want to have relationships with people. How do you do that? How do you... You have to break out of your box. If you stay in your box, if you stay the spoiled brat of your youth, you're not going to have a great marriage. You're not going to have a relationship with your kids. You won't have a relationship with God. You won't have kindness. You won't be alive. You won't be vibrant. Indeed, we have responsibility to try to be like Abraham. Try to be like Moses. To notice other people. How do you notice other people? You have to break out of your box. Not just surface. I want to see, but I want to see further. I want to dig deep into someone else. I want to take off my shoes. Walk in someone else's shoes. What's it like? Try on someone's shoes. Go ahead, Ronnie. You want to try them on? Whoa, it's different, right? Your shoes See the, are very big. My so shoes are pretty I'm big. Not, that's right. No, I'm not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> big shoes to fill. Right? That's what it is. Moshe is told the reason why you're the most special is because you don't wear shoes. You wear other people's shoes. Everyone else's suffering is your suffering. Abraham saw... But then he saw again. He didn't just see like we see. We see and we turn away. Right? We don't notice. We don't delve into other people's lives. That's the mark of true leadership. That's what we can achieve on our little level. But that's also what we must achieve to have fruitful and productive lives. Thanks a lot, guys, for inviting me here. And we'll see you guys next time. Is there anything that we can learn from King Solomon? I mean, is there anything in the Bible about his leadership? He was very clever. He's known about being smart and clever, but I'm trying to think, did he ever demonstrate a leadership? Did you look at the book of Mishle? I did not. Well, read it. Mishle is one of the books that we never learned. Oh, well, there you go. So, uh, Sefer Mishle, Proverbs in Hebrew, Uh right? Or Kohelet, Ecclesiastes in English, right? Thank you. Read those books and you find some tremendous lessons. Chanoch Lanar Alpi Darko. Shamata Oze? Chanoch Lanar Alpi Darko. No, 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 no. If anybody...